This is Peter Fabricant, social media editor for the Journal of Issacos, here to introduce the June issue of the journal. In addition to an introductory editorial by our editor-in-chief, Professor Nick Van Dyke, this issue contains a series of systematic reviews as well as two state-of-the-art articles. All of the articles in this summary may be found in the June issue of the Journal of Issacos, as well as online at jissacos.bmj.com. While the journal is officially published every other month, the website is updated in real time as manuscripts are finalized. This issue's editorial by Professor Van Dyke discusses the concept of arthroscopic meniscectomy. It remains one of the most common orthopedic surgery procedures despite the known risk of osteoarthritis in the long term. Conversely, Professor Van Dyke discusses meniscal tears in the setting of ACL reconstruction. He introduced the Editor's Choice Systematic Review in this issue by Pujol, which discusses the idea that small, asymptomatic meniscal tears noted at the time of ACL reconstruction may be left untreated. Editor's Choice Systematic Reviews are available free online in their entirety. In their systematic review, Pujol and colleagues combined 15 studies which included a total of 1,485 untreated meniscal tears, including 843 lateral meniscus and 642 medial meniscus tears. They noted a very low rate of revision surgery for small asymptomatic tears of the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus, with rates of failure ranging between 0 and 7%. Untreated medial meniscus tears, on the other hand, resulted in a 12 to 15% risk of requiring reoperation. Given these data, perhaps posterior horn lateral meniscus tears can be left untreated while those of the posterior horn medial meniscus should be treated. However, heterogeneity precluded a formal meta-analysis, and indications for repair versus meniscectomy change with patient age and tear type, certainly preserving as much meniscal tissue as possible through benign neglect or formal repair would be ideal for minimizing the risk of future osteoarthritis. In a systematic review entitled, Hillsack's Lesion is Not a Significant Prognostic Factor for Recurrence of Shoulder Redislocation After Arthroscopic Bankart Repair, Randelli and colleagues sought to investigate the effect of the presence of a Hillsack's lesion on the risk of recurrent instability after arthroscopic bankart repair. They noted that, as their title indicates, the presence of a Hillsack's lesion is not statistically significantly associated with recurrence of glenohumeral instability. While this may be true statistically, it may not be true clinically. The authors identified a number of limitations in the existing literature that may have biased the results towards the null. The existing literature is heterogeneous with respect to multiple factors, including the method of detecting the Hillsack's lesions, bank heart repair techniques, patient demographics, and degree of clinical instability preoperatively. Perhaps most importantly, their inclusion of primary literature as far back as 1980 did not take into account a key principle of Hillsack's lesions, the glenoid track. The concept of engaging versus non-engaging lesions were described by Burkhart and De Beer in 2000, and the idea of the on-track, off-track lesions were described in 2007 by Yamamoto. These concepts were further refined by those authors, Itoi, DiGiacomo, and others, which have shown that the size and location of the Hillsax lesion is extremely important with regard to risk of recurrent glenohumeral instability. Therefore, while a statistically significant difference was not noted in the current systematic review, this should not be interpreted as the absence of an effect, rather that further comparative prospective study is needed in order to answer the important question of what to do when one encounters a Hillsax lesion in the setting of arthroscopic bankart repair. In the first of two state-of-the-art reviews, a team of authors led by Dr. John Fulkerson discussed the diagnosis and treatment of anterior knee pain. 
Anterior knee pain is a vexing problem and one of the most common presentations to the sports medicine orthopedic surgeon and primary care sports medicine physicians, particularly for adolescent and young adult patients. It can be debilitating for the patient and frustrating for the practitioner to treat. This state-of-the-art review explains the various history, physical examination, and diagnostic imaging modalities used in caring for patients with anterior knee pain. Causes can include the cartilage surfaces, Hoffa's fat pad, lateral retinaculum, medial plica, amplified pain syndrome, and neuroma from previous incisions. The authors discuss the utility of selective injections and taping to offload inflamed structures as both diagnostic and therapeutic modalities. Evaluation of the whole lower limb complex, including alignment, gait, hip musculature strength, balance and flexibility, and tibial torsion are all important to understand mechanical root causes of anterior knee pain and are described in great detail in this review. This torsional malalignment can lead to both static and dynamic mechanical causes of anterior knee pain. Imaging and treatment are also discussed with an excellent review of both non-operative and surgical treatments for the spectrum of pathology that may cause anterior knee pain. This manuscript is well-organized and a must-read for physicians and surgeons who treat patients with knee pain. The second state-of-the-art review is entitled Extra-Articular Procedures for the ACL-Deficient Knee, a State-of-the-Art Review. While historically, isolated extra-articular procedures were used to surgically treat knee instability associated with ACL insufficiency, current techniques of intra-articular ACL reconstruction recreate the ligament itself. Despite newer techniques of reconstruction including anteromedial portal drilling and anatomic reconstruction, a subset of patients continue to have rotatory instability, which may lead to continued symptoms. In this state-of-the-art review, the authors, led by Professor Narrett, who is a pioneer in these concepts, describe their indications for additional extra-articular ALL reconstruction, including high-grade pivot shifts, failed ACL reconstruction without an obvious cause, patients in contact sports, and those with ligamentous laxity. They discuss the concept of the ALL and the evolution of techniques of reconstruction, including tenodesis, anatomic reconstruction, and combined intra-articular and extra-articular ACL and ALL reconstruction. The authors point out that long-term, prospective, comparative research is needed to refine the best technique and indications for extra-articular procedures in the ACL-deficient knee. It is an interesting piece for those who perform ACL surgery. Thank you for listening to this podcast review of the Journal of Isikos. All of the articles in this summary and others may be found in the June issue of the journal, as well as online at jsikos.bmj.com.